Soundstripe. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This is Harriet Westmore with the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where I discuss the history of a muse of American music over a glass of wine. I'm drinking sweet red tonight. So that's my wine for the night. <clears throat> I want to welcome everybody on a beautiful Friday. It is warm out here where I live. It is like, it came, I think it went up to like um, 90 in the late eighties or 90 today. So I'm not going to complain about that. Um, before I dive in, um, remember um, there are t-shirts available and um, tote bags and coffee mugs on the www.morewineandmusic.com. Okay, so without further ado, tonight we're going to go into episode number 10. I've got two more episodes before I go into um, to complete the blues genre before I move on into a different season and different type of music. So we've got two more to go. Episode number 10 is going to be about Sleepy John Estes. And what's so interesting about him is because he comes from the area of where my dad is from. My dad's from Ripley, Tennessee, Ripley, Lauderdale County, um, and Bronzeville area. So this is near and dear, close to home of my family um, history. All right, Sleepy John Estes is another blues artist that's worth mentioning. Due to being a songwriter and having a vocal voice that was described as being, um, his voice was like, when he sang, he like, it was like more of a whining, crying type voice. Um, I equivalent to like whining, like, um, uh, dang, I just forgot his name. Keith <laughs> um, Sweat. Okay. That's who I think, you know, he whines and every time he sings, it's like a whining song. So I, that, that's what I think how Sleepy John Estes was, but maybe not like that. But who was he? Who was he as a person? Okay. And how he, and what's his contribution to the muse genre? Well, John Sleepy Adams Estes was born on January 25th on, in 1905 in Ripley, Tennessee, which is in Lauderdale County. He was one of 16 children. His father's name from the sources that I read was name was Daniel. His mother's name, however, I couldn't find the name of his mother. Um, so I, I'm, there was nothing written about her. But um, however, um, he came from a large, another large family. Um, they were uh, another typical family of um, sharecroppers. They sharecropped. They were very poor, and they earned their living by sharecropping. He was one of the children that uh, had to, you know, do the work as like everybody else. Get out in that field. He probably was like early five years old, as, as early as you can walk, you were as 
you know, most black families down in the deep South, they had to get out there and pick that cotton. Don't care how old you were. Um, a baseball accident caused him to injure his right eye. So um, I don't know how old that was when he had that accident, but um, that accident, you know, limited his ability to play any type of sports, obviously, because of his eye injury, injured to his eye. So to compensate not being able to play any sports, he took to music. Actually, his father, Daniel, was a, um, he knew how to play the guitar, so he taught his son how to play. And um, little young John would um, make his own guitar out of um, throwaway um, match box boxes, and he would um, use that as, a, as an instrument. And he was able, I'm sorry, not matchboxes. It was cigar, cigar boxes. So he would use cigar boxes. I don't know what type of wiring he would use um, with those cigar boxes, but he was able to use it as a way of um, making some type of sound out of it because he was able to play at different um, parties and local little um, play on the streets and play little local parties and picnics in the area. So there you have it. I mean, that cause in um, ingenuity, you know, to be able to take a, you know, match a, a cigar box and make an instrument out of that. And um, he also suffered from a um, blood disorder that caused him um, that probably created stemming from his injury from his right eye. And it caused him um, um, necrolepsy. Narcolepsy, I'm sorry, narcolepsy, which is a sleeping disorder, which is hence why he was nicknamed Sleepy. Um, I'm not sure exactly what narcolepsy is. I think you just, you know, automatically fall asleep a lot, you know, no matter where you are. It just, you know, it's a kind of disorder that uh, um, medically that you, it's, uh, it makes you go to sleep. It makes you fall asleep. So, which is why he was nicknamed childhood um, friends and family would start calling him Sleepy John, which is how he got his um, name, Sleepy John Estes. In 1915, he his family um, left Ripley and they moved to Bronzeville, which is about 18 miles northwest into Haywood County. Um, Haywood and um, Ripley in Lauderdale, they're right next door to each other. My dad was actually born in, um, he was born in Lauderdale County. Um, it was one of those stories to where, where the house that where he was actually born, he wasn't born in a hospital. He was born in um, a house and part of the house, the front part of the house was in Haywood County and the back house of the back portion of the house where he was actually born was set in Lauderdale. So he was on his birth certificate. It was considered, you know, Ripley, which is, you know, Lauderdale. So um, while Sleepy John um, was in living in um, Brownsville, he was able to meet um, James Yank um, Rochelle. 
If you recall back in episode eight, when I was talking about my distant cousin, um, Sonny Boy Williamson, number one, um, Sonny Boy also played with um, Yank Rochelle. So um, Sleepy John also met up with him and played as well with him. And during that time, they were able to uh, play in the Memphis. They went to Memphis area and started playing. This was during a time when Sleepy was, um, you know, in his teens. He was born in 1904. So he was, what, four minus 15 is, what, um, 11? He was 11 years. He was young. Wow, he was young. Okay. But they would play. They would get together and play. And they would play little um, circuit, uh, parties like, um, you know, little picnics and little house parties. And he, they would play on those local Bronzeville streets, you know, to get some kind of a recognition. Um, between the time of, um, 1924 to 1927, Sleepy John played in Missouri in Arkansas. Um, in these times, at that time in the 20s, there was this type of uh, music called jug, um, jug type music where you, um, a lot of in, um, instruments were played with, in, in, including jugs and other homemade um, instruments like washboards, um, jugs, um, along with, um, you know, drums and piano and, and harmonica. So Sleepy John was able to incorporate um, jug music in his type of uh, genre and style that he's playing. And matter of fact, he um, created a little small band and got with um, another blues artist called um, named Hammy Nixon. Um, he played the harmonica while um, Sleepy John would um, sing vocals and play the guitar but um, they decided to follow suit as far as the jug music, the jug style uh, playing. And they called themselves the uh, Three Jugs um, Band. Um, the other person that was um, a part of that was um, uh, Jab Jones. Okay. And the three, they decided to play in the Memphis area. Memphis... You know, as you, we've learned in the blues genre, Memphis is a was a very popular place to play as a blues artist. People from all over the South, if you wanted to make it big, you would go into the Memphis area, such as, you know, people from the Delta and Mississippi. They make their way up into Memphis because you had Bill Street. Bill Street was that pop, the place to be if you were going to play music, play the blues, and hopefully to be discovered, you would, you know, go to Bill Street. So, and Sleepy John and his um, two um, band members, they were no exception. They left, you know, Tennessee, well, left Brownsville area and went farther west into um, Memphis. And, you know, at that time in the 20s, it, it was very competitive because you had, again, you had a lot of people coming up from the Delta, Mississippi Delta. You had that style of blues coming into Mississippi and playing. And um, <clears throat> um, 
So it was like being competitive to try to get into these venues to be discovered. Unfortunately, Sleepy John and his um, band, they weren't as popular. They weren't able to get into a, a venues like, you know, those like the clubs or, or bars that were popular for most musicians at that time. Um, he was, you know, only thing that they could do is play like on the streets or play at local, you know, parties or, or picnics and stuff like that. But they weren't able to get you know, famous enough or, or be recognized enough to be able to get inside a actual, you know, more better venue in Memphis on Bill Street. So, you know, at that time, who was in competition that uh, Sleepy John was with was, um he was a famous, another famous blues artist was Sunhouse. Now, people who recognize Sunhouse, he came up from the Mississippi Delta. He's another blues artist that came from the Delta. So Sunhouse was very popular and was in Memphis at that time. So again, you know, it, it's, it's all about competition. You know, it was all about competition. And unfortunately, um, Sleepy John and the Three Jugs Band was not able to get the recognition that they, you know, you know, could, you know, deserved actually. So when um, they figured that since, you know, the, the the competition was fierce and work for them was scarce in Memphis, they decided to go up farther north into um, Kentucky. Again, um, there aren't any, I wouldn't say, I would say there weren't any um large venues in Kentucky, they actually uh, went to Paducah, Kentucky. And um, they were able to, um, you know, play again in street, you know, on little parties and street uh, venues like that. I'm going to take time out to um, mention a few people who are uh, watching me tonight. Hi, Crystal. Love you. My brother, Ethan. Yes, I'm going to talk about that at the end of uh, what you're saying. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the, the podcast. Hi, mommy. All right. Um, so after, again, leaving from Kentucky, they decided to go up farther north into um, into the Missouri, in, you know, Arkansas and into the Missouri area to play. Again, you know, it seemed like they could they lost their footing could not um, get in like the other um, more famous blues artists. So, you know, they were more regulated to playing, you know, just local stuff. It wasn't big time, but although in around 1929, Sleepy John was able to record Victor, Victor Records um, sent their representatives from, from Chicago they went down to went down south, and um, Sleepy John was able to connect with um, Victor Records uh, company, and they did um, able were able to um, do some kind of recording. Love you too, hi Auntie. All right, um, like I said, um, 
they went to, they were actually invited after they recorded a few songs with um, Victor Records. Victor Records invited them to come up to Chicago and con continue on to, you know, um, record a little bit more records. Some of the records that they recorded, the songs were called Milk Cow Blues. Um, and um, Mama Blues. A lot of, you know, a lot of these artists and their songs, I mean, didn't have much, much of imagination, obviously. So, I mean, you get these um, lowdown blues, milk cow blues, you know, house blues, you know, th those, those were the type of the titles that they have. Um, thinking, okay, well, thinking that they were able to, maybe I can do better if we move up north. So they did what well, most artists did down south. They moved up north into Chicago. So um, they decided in 1931 to um, move to Chicago, Sleepy John, um, Hammy Nixon, and um, Jab Jones. They decided to move up to Chicago and hopefully try to make it there. Um, the unique style of Sleepy John, again, like I said, was about uh, his voice. He had more of a crying, whining voice. And, you know, accompanied with that was Hemi Nixon's harmonica. So it kind of gave that blend of, um, you know, that bluesy style that was uh, really, really uh, down home because of that whining and crying style along with that harmonica. So, you know, that made it unique of what he was able to do. Um, again, being in Chicago, they didn't stay long because he was able, you know, again, they weren't able to break into the genre of venues that, you know, most of the, uh, what better known artists were able to do. So they, again, regulated to, um, you know, playing in the streets of Chicago, you know, for, for, for recognition, which wasn't much. So, you know, being disillusioned after a while, you know, you get hungry because <laughs> I mean, obviously if you're paying, you know, playing for pennies, you're not going to really much survive especially in a, in a major city like Chicago. So Sleepy John decided to move back to back to what he knows, which was back down home to Brownsville. And he pretty much gave up playing. He, for a little bit, he um, decided to go back to sharecropping, which I found that was kind of strange. Who leaves the opportunity you wanted to that's a, that's a life that most blacks wanted to get away from and you know by any means necessary and but sleepy john decided to <laughs> give it up and go back to what he knows so he went to you know went back to sharecropping um you know and played locally um he didn't um, entirely give up playing his music. He just sharecropped and then played at local gigs, you know, family picnics, um, street or house parties and such. Um, in 1937, Sleepy John was invited to go to New York City, however, to play 
and record for Delta Deca label records. Um, he recorded for them between 37, 1937 and 1938. And it, during that time, um, he had brought along his cousin, um, Charlie Pickett, um, who played the guitar um, as his um, backup along with Hammy Nixon on the harmonica. So um, he kind of changed up the, the participants in his band. Um, in 1940, he was paired with a young musician called uh, who was named Robert Nighthawk. And Robert Nighthawk, he was, like I said, he was young. So he was able to bring a more of a modern style to what um, Sleepy John was playing before. So that kind of gave um, Sleepy a may, maybe a better um recognition a little bit because he was able to, you know, pairing up with Robert Nighthawk, he was able to infuse a little bit of more modernization in his style of uh, music than he, what he, you know, was doing before. And that kind of gave him a little more um, notoriety. Um, he became sick um, in around in 1941 um, his health was failing. I'm not sure what exactly. I don't know, Ethan, if you're still on, I don't know if you know what his actual health, his failing health was, um, but it caused him to move back, you know, go back to um, Brownsville. And that's probably, you know, that's basically where he stayed at that point. Um, and um, he uh, in 50, 1950, he completely lost his eyesight. So both, you know, he was, you know, blind from the injury from his right eye from as a um, child from a baseball injury. And then by 1950, he was completely blind. Um, but although um, he was blind, um, he in 1952, he was invited, he tried to go back into the music scene. And this time he wanted to, um, he was connected with um, the infamous um, Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips is, is a very well-known, um, back then, very well-known um, record producer for Sun Records and for the Sun Records label. And he um, recorded some music, although it didn't get released. So, that was kind of the big, um, you know, pretty much the beginning of the end with him as far as pushing out new material. Um, his um, music did get some kind of, again, got more little um, recognition um, back, well, in 1962. Um, and that was because it was a blues festival that was going on down in that area in Brownsville. And, you know, usually blues festival, it brings back, it kind of revives um, musicians. Um, so it kind of, you know, that helped. So people like um, him on in the, and if he was part of the festival and another um, blues artist, John Hurt, um, and Sunhouse and Skip James that kind of revitalized, you know, having that type of festival kind of revitalized their their type music. So from there, you know, people gain a little bit of interest, more interest in him. So um, 
he, you know, tried a tour from that, from that festival. He tried a tour a little bit, you know, tried because they, you know, he got a lot of requests to play at certain um, venues. But again, um, his health, you know, would didn't really allow him to really tour like he, you know, would have liked. So, you know, he kind of retired from that point into Brownsville and that that's where he, you know, pretty much lived the rest of his life. Um, he died on June 5th in 1977. Um, he died from a stroke. But in 1991, he was um, um, posthumously um, inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. So, you know, that's the story of Sleepy John Estes. While he may have been considered an unsung um, blues artist, his home of, you know, in Ripley and Bronzeville, they make it a point to make sure he's not forgotten. Um, there's a, as what my, uh, as what Ethan has mentioned, there's a um, museum called the West um, Tennessee Delta Heritage Center that actually has his house um, on that property. So you can actually tour inside the house. I um, actually had the opportunity to go when um last time I was down there, like several years ago, I went um, when we was in Tennessee, I happened to go to the, went to the, visit the museum and actually went into his house. And it, it, it was a, one of those typical houses that you see in the South back in the day, um, uh, a shanty type house with only, you know, two rooms, one bedroom, um, hardwood floors, you know, but I mean, everything was um, set up the way it, you know, was when he was living there. So it, it's interesting to see, to, you know, see those old type shacks of a house that people, that our people lived in back, you know, way back when. And, you know, if you go deep, deep in, you know, some of the South probably still live in, you know, today, unfortunately. All right. So um, that is the story of Sleepy John Estes. Like I said, I mean, it, it is, um, you know, close to my family because of on my dad's side, because my dad was born um, in that area. And I think he actually did know him um, personally. Um, so um, I got most of my sources from the National Park Museum, National Park um, Service and the TennesseeVacation.com um, website. I see that um my um yes, Ethan, you're right. Um, he is buried in Durnville, in the Durnville Cemetery, and a lot of our relatives, along with a lot of our relatives, are buried in that um, grave site in Durnville, which is in Durnville, Tennessee, which is in um, I believe is that that's Lauderdale County, right, Ethan? Um, it might be yeah, Lauderdale. So yeah, so that's where Sleepy John is buried. Okay, I appreciate a lot of family and you know support. Thank you so much. Um, okay, yes, it is Lauderdale. I appreciate you know you guys' support. And um, if you have, um, like I said, I have two more 
episodes I'm going to do into the blues genre, then I'm going to switch over and start with the jazz. I mean, I'm talking about the contemporary jazz that we listen to today. I'm talking about the authentic Count Basie, um, that type of jazz back in the day, how it all started. So I'm, I'm going to go into that genre. So like a, if there's two, I got two more. Hey, hey, Rebecca, I have a, a co-worker that's uh, here. Thank you. If you have um, any uh, blues person or blues artist that you would like me to do a um, biography um, about, please, um, you know, let me know. I, like I said, I have two more episodes I'm going to do, and then I'm going to switch over into another um, genre. So thank you so much. Please support. Um, go on the www.morewineandmusic.com website where I have t-shirts, I have tote bags, I have coffee mugs, um, and it has the More Wine and Music uh, podcast logo on it. And um, like I said, I'm drinking my sweet wine for the night. And um, you guys stay cool. It is warm out, but I'm not complaining. Be safe. And I love you all. Thank you so much for joining. All right. Have a good night and good weekend. Bye. Stripe.